friends. Hello, 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 humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Hello, happy Monday to you. Happy Monday in the middle of February of 2020 to you. And guess what? It is a talking head show. It's an Ellie's talking head show today. I uh, don't have a guest, and all you do is you just get me. You're stuck with me. Moi! Okay? But you know what? That's all right. And, you know, we're going to talk. I think we have a good show, uh, even if it's just going to be me talking about idealism and practical idealism, which I practice, and about uh, I've got a number of different things in the hopper. We're going to be revisiting, actually, even one of our past idealists. I've got a little update on something. And so, um, so yeah, there we go. huh? And um, before I do anything else... I need to do a shout-out. Um, there is a listener. Uh, well, by the way, everyone, LA 2.0 Radio is international. I just want you to know that because I have a listener. I have a big fan, Teresa, in Scotland. And she has been uh, contacting me uh, via Twitter and then uh, Gmail and all that stuff. And we've been having a really nice conversation. And uh, Teresa, here's a shout-out to you. Hey, thanks for listening to LE 2.0 Radio. Um, I just really enjoy our uh, conversations back and forth. So so there you go. Hey, everyone. And if you're on Facebook Live right now, as I'm taping this show on the 10th of February, you will see I am trying out um, a radically new reddish-er um, lipstick because I am just tired of the old one and... Uh, of course, it's a little scary for me to be so bold, but there you go. Okay. Hey. All right. All right. So to begin, uh, let's, uh, let's start off with uh, going backwards. Um, I want to go back um, actually nearly 26 years uh, to April of 1994 to a country most Americans barely speak of. That, is, that country is Rwanda. Yes, I am going to speak about the Rwandan genocide in part, um, well, large part. Um, and, and for you listeners, um, if that is going to be too much, come on back in about 12 minutes, okay? Uh, you'll probably get a commercial at that point, but uh, come on back in 12 minutes. It's all right. I understand. Many of you, but certainly not all of you, are familiar with what happened in Rwanda. Uh, it started with the assassination of, the, of Rwanda's president when his plane was shot down. That then created a power vacuum in the country and unleashed um, an undercurrent of hatred in a country that had two main clans, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And there is a long, long history in Rwanda that I don't have time to cover where uh, the Hutus and the Tutsis both... Uh, uh, as I said, clans, I mean, we're not like talking about um, uh, significant different racial features, even though race isn't is just simply a construct. I mean, we're just talking about two different clans um, that uh, during the colonial years when uh, Germany and then um, Belgium oversaw Rwanda, uh, those clans differences were highlighted as a ways to keep the population in control. So there's a long history there. I cannot go back to it, okay? But when the president was assassinated, uh, the Hutus mobilized and urged every Hutu in the country to begin killing Tutsis. Um, and that began a three-month campaign of genocide that took, and I am not exaggerating, took the lives of 10,000 humans a day. Did you hear that? 10,000 Rwandans a day were murdered for three months. Somewhere between 800,000 to 1 million people were murdered in Rwanda before it was over. And Rwanda is a country about the size of Maryland. All right? Through it all, there was one American... Own, the only American to remain in the country during the genocide. 
His name is Carl Wilkins. He was and remains a Seventh-day Adventist. He was a missionary in Rwanda and living in the capital city of Kilgari with his wife and three young children. And when I say three young children, I don't think any of these kids were older than uh, six or seven years old. They were living in, in Kilgari when the violence broke out. Now, um, some of you may remember the movie Hotel Rwanda. And you may remember that after the president was assassinated, radio stations in Rwanda started broadcasting broadcasting um, calls to arms by the Hutus um, to go after the Tutsis. I mean... And they, and they were denigrating, denigrating um, the Tutsis. I'll come back to that in a second. But, I mean, it was horrible. And so Carl Wilkin, Wilkins and his family are in Kilgari, and they're hearing these radio broadcasts. Um, and for several days, Carl and his family huddled in the hallway of their house while listening to the sound of gunfire and mortars ringing out. Early on, their next-door neighbors, a well-known banker who was a Tutsi, um, had lowered their their two young children over a fence to a friend. Later, the soldiers and vigilantes came and killed the banker and his wife. Eventually, within several days of genocide breaking out, the U.S. Embassy organized an evacuation of all U.S. citizens from Rwanda. Carl Wilkins sent his wife and children away, but he made the decision to stay behind. And I'm sorry, you may start hearing some emotion in my voice over the bravery of this man. Carl Wilkins stayed behind because he feared for the lives of the family's domestic servants. Uh, domestic servant and a person, and a second person, their night watchman. Both were Tutsis. And Wilkins and Carl, Carl Wilkins, was certain that they would be killed as soon as um, he and his family were gone. And here's what Carl uh, told Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times regarding his decision to stay. And this is from a New York Times piece titled Saying No to the Killers that Nicholas Kristof wrote in July of 2004 to commemorate 10 years after the end of the genocide. So, so um, Kristof is quoting Carl now. This is what Carl said about staying. Quote, it just seemed the right thing to do, unquote, he recalled in an interview here in Oregon, where he is now an Adventist pastor in the small town of Days Creek. Quote, I could take my blue passport and go. And moments later, my house girl and night watchman, both identifiable Tutsis, were going to be butchered. Unquote. So Carl stayed. For three weeks, he and uh, the two people he sought to protect remained holed up in his house. Um, one night, the Hutu militia came to kill Carl and his servants, but Hutu neighbors praised Carl's humanitarian work um, because Carl had been in Rwanda as part of nonprofit doing missionary work. The Hutu neighbors came to his his defense, and they they were strong. They were convincing enough to send the militia away. So Carl and the two his two um, servants were saved. Eventually, the, the violence subsided somewhat, but certainly not totally, that Carl started to venture out. Carl found an orphanage in Kilgari being administered by a Hutu named Dama Gisamba, G-I-S-I-M-B-A, Gisamba. Damas, excuse me, his first name is Damas. Very good, Ellie. Uh, Damas, another idealist worthy of an entire show on Ellie 2.0 radio, Damas was harboring three to four hundred Tutsis in the orphanage that he had been operating. Um, the orphanage had no supplies. When Carl came, total stranger, knocked on the door, asked, uh, asked Damas um, and the uh, orphanage staff if they needed anything, and they did, and they asked for water and some food. But they said they wanted water most of all. Damas later would recount that he thought he'd send Carl away. Carl would go away and never come back. Carl said, I can do that. I can get you the water and other things. And again, Thomas didn't believe he'd come back, but the next day, Carl returned with water and food. And then Carl kept coming back every day after that to supply the orphanage with water and other things. To do that, Carl had to navigate multiple checkpoints with drunken militiamen who had 
blood-stained hands. Now, I have to tell you, as I researched this piece, because I read multiple things about Rwanda, multiple pieces about Carl Wilkins, okay, as I researched it, the phrase that kept coming up again and again was about militiamen having blood-stained hands. Repeatedly. Can you imagine? On one day, Carl was delivering water to the orphanage, and the militia appeared. At this point, the orphanage executive director, Damas, uh, recall that he's a Hutu, but even Hutus were being killed if they were believed to be super uh, sympathizers. Uh, they came looking for Damas because he was a Tutsi Tutsi sympathizer, even though he was Hutu. Um, but Damas had gone into hiding. On this day when the militia came looking for Damas, um, uh, they found one of the orphanage workers. Carl later recounted that the militia man who confronted the orphanage worker, they called the militia man Little Hitler. He must have been there several times. The, the, the militia man went up to the orphanage worker, demanded to know where Damas was. When the worker refused to say, the militia man, little Hitler, shot the worker dead. This happened right in front of Carl. Carl got on the radio at that moment and pleaded to the Red Cross for help because he feared that the militiamen were going to go crazy at the orphanage. Eventually, the Kilgari police came and sent the militia away. Later, Carl, later that day, Carl drove to the office of the prime minister, a Hutu in control of much of the violence of what was going on. And he pleaded... He pleaded with the Prime Minister that he protect the orphanage. The plea worked. Everyone at the orphanage was moved to a church where they waited out the duration of the genocide, which ended in July of 1994. Eventually, Carl Klein returned to the U.S., where he had a pastorship in Oregon, as you had read, as you heard a moment ago. He and his wife later founded a nonprofit, World Outside My Shoes. And that nonprofit has a website, World Outside. If you Google World Outside My Shoes, you're going to find out that that nonprofit goes to schools and colleges and speaks about the Rwanda genocide, but also speaks about, quote, the other, unquote. This is Ellie Krug's work. They have at the top of their website about inclusivity and empathy. I'm going to try and get Carl on this show. We'll see. Carl and his wife are actively speaking, as I said. If you go to the website, you'll see that they have a very full calendar. Wow, I am in awe. Um, one last thought, um, and that is this. As those radio broadcasts went out, um, calling upon uh, Hutus to go and kill Tutsis, neighbor against neighbor, um, those words rang out, and, and, and from an American Radio Works piece uh, titled The Few Who Stayed Defying Genocide in Rwanda, one of the survivors said this. In Rwanda, they referred to Tutsis as cockroaches, explained Omar. They were not human beings. This is very important to understand. There are very close parallels to what happened in Hitler's Germany. They said, don't worry, you're not killing humans like you. You're killing some vermin that belongs under your shoe. You're killing cockroaches, unquote. It is difficult to avoid drawing parallels to what's happening in the United States at this moment with what happened in Rwanda 26 years ago. The key is that it takes courage to do the right thing, as Carl Klein said. And you know what? Carl did the right thing. Excuse me, Carl Wilkins said. Carl did the right thing. This is what idealists do. Carl Wilkins, read up about him and his bravery. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you. I'm Dr. Thomas Adams, President and CEO of Better Futures Minnesota. We're a social enterprise dedicated to rebuilding lives through housing, workforce development, health and family engagement, and coaching supports that give men the skills and relationships they need to succeed. 
Better Futures Minnesota engages men who had a history of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, untreated mental and physical health challenges to help them achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. Visit us at betterfuturesminnesota.com to learn how you can support our enterprise. Finding the right lawyer is incredibly stressful. It can be tough to know even where to start. Don't just run an internet search for an attorney. Start with the Minnesota Lawyer Referral and Information Service, an enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They'll connect you with over 200 thoroughly vetted, qualified attorneys practicing in over 50 areas of law. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. Get a head start on this year's Blue State Ball by having dinner with me, Tom Harbin, on Saturday, February 22nd at Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club. It's your chance to discuss with me the big issues facing the country in a small, intimate setting. You can guarantee your spot at the February 22nd dinner by pre-purchasing a ticket for $200. Tickets are very limited and will go fast. So reserve your spot now by calling 952-946-8885. More details at am950radio.com. What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance companies. Hi, this is Charlie. Dad, don't embarrass me by making me say this. What does a used iPhone go for today? Fine. My dad is the greatest fantasy football player of all time, Matt McNeil. I won our league this year. Ugh. When I'm getting together with my friends without my dad, we always go in my Sienna. Not only does it drive great in winter conditions, but it can easily fit all my friends with seating up to eight. My son's friend's parents request he drive because he has a Sienna. It tells you everything you need to know about their safety and reliability. See for yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. on Ellie 2.0 Radio and AM 950. Yes, the thing about Ellie Krug is you get it unfiltered. You even get my mistakes when I'm calling, uh, give our idealists the wrong last name. That is just me sometimes. Um, read up on Carl Wilkins, okay? Um, and read up on Rwanda because um, it's really important to understand how things can change in an instant. They can. I've talked before about how they changed in, in Tulsa in, uh, in 1921. I've talked about how, I mean, they can just change in an instant. All right. So let's move on. I've got an update. So on November 4th of 2019, our uh, featured idealist was uh, Bayard Rustin. And um, as you may recall, who was an icon for the civil rights movement, um, but did not get the same recognition as, uh, of course, Dr. King and Ralph Abernathy and other people um, because um, he was gay. Um, Bayard Rustin was gay. And, uh, and, and that, that was very unfortunate. But he also understood that he needed to not be as visible. And uh, long story, but go back to uh, my show on November 4th and uh, 2019 and, and listen to it. But here's the deal. Bayard Rustin had been arrested in San Francisco in 1953. Um, he'd been arrested. Excuse me. It was in Los Angeles, not in San Francisco. He had been arrested because um, uh, he was discovered having sex with another man in a parked car in Pasadena, California. Okay? Now, 
in the 50s and 60s, uh, the acceptance of gay people, uh, LGBTQ people, was not nearly anywhere close to the way it is today. Um, and so uh, the criminal laws were used as ways to, um, to suppress and marginalize uh, LGBTQ people. And for that, uh, for that incident in the car, Bayard Rustin spent 50 days in the Los Angeles County Jail. Are you kidding me? Um, and he was required to register as a sex offender. So this was something that dogged him, that followed him around for his, you know, his life. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to report that uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom um, on Tuesday, February 4th, I think, uh, yes, um, uh, signed a bill uh, granting um, pardoning to Bayard Rustin. Just pardoning me, wiping out the conviction, wiping out the sex offender thing, just totally pardoning him for the crime. As well as that same legislation um, uh, also provided for the fact that any other Californian who was LGBTQ uh, convicted of such kinds of crimes, they could also apply to be pardoned and their criminal conviction erased. You know, I mean, California's got a lot of problems, but I got to tell you, okay, I mean... Talk about humanity here. And so, anyway, I just wanted to bring you that update because Bayard Rustin, very important human. So, there you go. Okay. Now, um, in, uh, you know, in the, in the piece that I just uh, did before about, um, about Carl Wilkins, um, I referenced uh, uh, Nicholas Kristoff. Um, and uh, he is, he happens, Nicholas Kristoff happens to be a New York Times columnist, but he's also an author. He um, and his wife, Cheryl Wudun, wrote what, according to in my book, is one of the most important books I've, I've ever read, Half the Sky, which is about the, uh, the marginalization and, and oppression and murdering of women and girls across the world. It also can, contains a lot of stories about how women and girls are resilient and, and, and can be leaders and all that kind of stuff. But they wrote that book, Half the Sky, that came out in about 2008, 2009. Well, uh, Christoph and Wudan have now come out with a new book. Uh, the title of the book is Tightrope. Uh, which I've started reading. I'm not through the full book, okay, but uh, I just wanted to mention it and bring it up because um, it just seems appropriate. The book, Tightrope, is uh, in part about Christoph's hometown of Yamil, Yamhill, Y-A-M-H-I-L-L, Oregon. I am sure I just murdered the name. It's probably Yamil. Um, it's, he grew up there. He was the son of two college professors, um, but you know, went to public school, rode the school bus, and what the book Tightrope documents is the decline of prosperity in that area. And part of what they've done is uh, Christoph has gone through the school bus that he wrote um, with uh, other kids and documented what has happened to them and found that one-fourth of the people, a quarter of the people who rode the school bus with him, are dead, either due to drug overdoses, alcohol abuse, suicide, or reckless accidents. Um, and in the book, okay, what Christoph and Wudan do is they make the case that um, much of our society is no longer upwardly mobile through hard work or luck. And the title, Tightrope, is about the fact that many Americans are walking a tightrope and they make one small mistake and they fall off that rope and then they end up into despair. Here are some sobering statistics about where the United States is right now, quoted in the book. Right now, the United States is 40th, 40th in infant mortality, 4-0. We are 32nd in Internet access, 39th in the world in clean drinking water, 50th in the world in personal safety, 61st in the world in high school enrollment. And for three years, although I think it stopped uh, uh, la- last year most recently, but three years before that, life expectancy declined. If the minimum wage in 1968 had kept up with inflation, today it would be $22 an hour. Um, instead, minimum wage in much of the country is $7.25. And in more progressive states, it ranges up to $13 an hour. In Minnesota, the minimum wage is $9.50. 
um, the average wage in 2018 was lower than the average wage in 1973 when you take into account inflation. And Christoph and Wudan talk about this, what they call the simple success sequence. One, graduate from high school. Two, get a full-time job. Three, marry before you have kids. If you do that, if you do those three things, you have a 2% chance of living in poverty. If you do none of those three things, you have a 77% chance of living in poverty. And one other thing. They say that the cheat rate on food stamps, you know, where people get food stamps and they're cheating, is 1.5%. 1.5% of the people who get food stamps cheat. They compared that to the fact that millionaires hide $36 billion a year in taxes from the Treasury. Think about that. What this book, Tightrope, does is it help it helps explain where America is today and why people are afraid and angry. We know what appeals to people who have lost hope. The savior complex appeals to people. The fact that the fact that, you know, you think that, you know, somebody comes along and says, your problems are not because uh, you've lost hope. Your problems are not because um, the, the government has not kept up in, in providing a minimum wage that keeps with inflation. Your problems are because of immigrants, because of people with darker skin, because they are because of people who have different religions. So that's what appeals to people who have lost hope. Um, and if you're depressed now with all that I've just laid out for you, that is, of course, understandable. My next segment hopefully will lift you up a bit. Um, I'm not done with the book, uh, Tightrope, um, and I probably will come back again with more from the book, but I urge you to get it. The book is out. It's only been out about a month or so. It's called Tightrope. It's by Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wudun. Um, very well worth your time. Very sobering, but important stuff for all Americans, especially idealists to have this background information about going forward. All right. Well, um, we're going to take another break. Hopefully you're enjoying Ellie's talking head. Um, hopefully you are. And if you are, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Um, please email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. You know what I would love to do is get you to follow me on Twitter. The handle at Twitter is at elliekrug. Follow me on Instagram. The handle is at elliejkrug on Instagram. Remember, if you don't do that, if you only say at elliekrug on Instagram, you're going to start following a 23-year-old Victoria's Secret model. Mm, that's not me. All right. When we come back from our break, we'll do more of Ellie's talking head. Ah! My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. I'm a better neighbor because my service has taught me how important it is to be a team player. My training helps me in my classes when I give attention to detail to the task at hand. My service also allows me to be there for my community in ways others can't. I help my hometown recover after nature strikes. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my country and those I care about safe from threats. I also work with a network of professionals that help me succeed. Also, the Army National Guard's education benefits make getting a higher education a reality. Being an Army National Guard soldier makes living and serving in my community more rewarding every day. Learn more about how you too can live and serve part-time, close to home, by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. I'm Rick Unger. You've heard the screamers. You've heard the shouters, the haters, the berators. Well, now it's time to listen to a real conversation, a rational conversation. Now it's time for the Rick Unger Show. Listen to the Rick Unger Show every weekday from 5 to 7 p.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Stream at am950radio.com or search KTNF on the TuneIn app. 
Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. Hey, I guess we found a new name for our show. Really? What's the new name? Pilots Progressive Party. How did you ever come up with that? (laughs) Pilots our name and progressive fun is our game. (laughs) Well, what's that about? It's a one-hour news show with progressive guests and information you normally don't hear on the radio. Well, that's so exciting. I have a few ideas for guests myself. I know they'll be progressive. Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. on AM 950. The Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Hi, I'm Peter Solak. And I'm Adam Ostrowski. We are here at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces to talk about the joy of live fire cooking. Cooking over a live fire is the oldest and most basic form of cooking. What's new is in the way a fire is handled and its heat is managed. It's easier to experience and enjoy the smell and taste of food cooked over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces sells and installs live fire grills, fire pits, and ovens. Let us help you experience the smell, the taste, the fun of cooking with fire. Pizza was first made and is still best made in an open fire oven. The radiant and conductive heat of a live fire is unmatched for wood roasting and baking artisan breads, too. Come see the many ways you can cook over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood and gas units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. More information at woodlandstoves.com. Find the fire that works for you. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. I could listen to The Cure all day. I could. Anyway, it's Ellie Krug. Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. You're listening to me. Talking Head Show. Um, talking about idealism. Talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, hopefully, you know, I don't like to do Talking Head Shows all that much. Although I am having some fun today. Um, I, I do much prefer to have guests on. But you are looking at a one-person operation, although my wonderful producer, Brett Johnson, is trying his best to find me guests, um, and I really always appreciate when he does that. But for the most part, hey, you know, if I get them, great. If I don't, well, we're doing this. Okay, but let me talk about something. So now I just depressed the heck out of you if you were listening to all that statistics about what's going on in America. Let me... Let me see if I can raise you up a little bit here, okay? Now, I get involved in a number of different projects. I mean, I, you know, I have this radio show. I write for Lavender Magazine. I write for uh, Minnesota Women's Press. I blog. I, you know, I, I speak all over the country. But um, one of the things I also do is I get grabbed by different organizations to do special projects. And so um, I've been working with a... Um, um, a marketing company in in Minneapolis um, that has a contract um, with the state agency about opioid education, about educating about uh, the dangers of opioid addiction. Now, three years ago, I worked with that uh, firm uh, to conduct a number of focus groups of LGBTQ people who were struggling with opioid addiction. And in uh, those uh, focus groups, I mean, and let me just tell you, I mean, uh, you know, if you really want um, to learn about what it means to survive the human condition, get in a room with a bunch of people who are struggling with addiction, who are trying to get their lives straight, um, and particularly if they're LGBTQ people from across the country. That's where we were. I mean, we had people at treatment centers here in the Twin Cities, but they attract people from across the country. <clears throat> and and I've got to tell you, the stories that I heard about uh, shame, loneliness, abuse, doctors who um, just carelessly prescribe pain medication, you, you hear enough of those stories and you get a good sense 
of the fact of, of what Christoph and uh, Wu Dun um, found in their book Tightrope about what drives us humans to abuse, to addiction, when it's too difficult to survive the human condition. Well, the marketing firm pulled me back in uh, last year, late last year, and they asked me to find uh, some LGBTQ people who were in recovery. Now, who had gone through treatment and who had been sober, had been clean for a number of years. Now, this is tricky work. Um, One of the things you don't want to do is start interviewing people and somehow you start triggering them. So we had to have some precautions in place. Um, And I need to do a a really big uh, shout out to the Pride Institute um, here in Minnesota because they helped me locate two people um, who I uh, found as uh, really great subjects for this video. It it was called the... um, Uh, opioid recovery video project I found the Pride Institute helped me find two people and they and one of those people in turn helped me find one more all of the people and and so I went and I interviewed them and and I you know how good will they appear on camera da 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 and actually they all turned out to be really really great storytellers Um, and uh, they all had been humans who had been hurt um um, in the case of one, uh, somebody who had been addicted to heroin for nearly two decades, they were having a, they were now in a relationship with somebody who had grown up with a father who was an addict. I don't like to use that phrase, sorry. I grew up with a father who had an addiction. Um, and, um, and so on Thursday of last week in a studio in an obscure warehouse just off of downtown Minneapolis, um, we filmed uh, these folks. Um, I interviewed them, and uh, the way that it works is you'll only, once the film is done, only the responses will appear on the film. Nobody will ever hear my <laughs> my incredibly masculine voice. And what I heard in interviewing them for of their about their recovery was incredibly powerful stories of overcoming demons. What I heard was about clawing way, clawing one's way to enlightenment. What I heard was of moving from the passenger seat where life just takes you to being in the driver's seat where you control where and how you go. Maybe the most powerful statement I heard when one of the participants was, quote, Just tell one person, unquote, that you are addicted and want to stop. That person, a woman, a lesbian, said, if you just tell one person, that's the start for you. And you know what? You, our listeners right now, um, each of you can be that one person if somebody is brave enough and vulnerable enough to talk to you about an addiction issue. I'm sure that some of you listening right now have addictions. Maybe it is to alcohol, maybe it is to drugs, maybe it is to food. And if you do have an addiction, um, and by the way, I struggle as well, so I'm not on a I'm not on a high horse here. You know, at some point you realize life is short and you've got to take care of it. Because if you don't, it may make life shorter. I don't know. I'll tell you, I was just um, incredibly moved. I mean, it took about four, three, three and a half hours to do the filming. Um, And... And I was just incredibly moved by the vulnerability of the three people who came and were willing to allow me to ask questions, allow total strangers because we had people running cameras and we had people in another room looking at the video feeds, to allow people to just simply um, be there and, and risk intrusion as somebody shared some of the most intimate details about being human. Uh, Frankly, the experience renewed my faith. It did. 
And so back to, now we're back to Kristoff and, and Wudang and what they're finding about people having lost hope in America and then giving up and then falling into addictions. We all, all of us, all of us humans are capable of change. We are. I couldn't be an idealist if I didn't believe that. Because idealism is, is the whole thing about idealism is about fostering change. And I just have to tell you, it does not have to be this way. We all have it within us, individually and collectively as a society, to help give people hope, to get them out of misery. We have that. We have the ability to do that. It's just a question of whether we can quit fighting with each other long enough to grab that vision and to work towards it. I don't know. Um, I do believe, though, as you've heard me say multiple times, the vast majority of all humans are good. We have good, empathetic hearts. We're just simply afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of giving up our addictions. We're afraid of doing some of the work to get hope. We're afraid of working together to change the landscape. Boy, I'll tell you, I really want to change all of that. I do. Will you join me in that? Will you help me make the world better? Okay. Well, there you go. Ellie's talking head at length. Um, when we come back, you'll get my C block where I'll talk a little bit about my more about my work. I just talked about my work. Um, if you like what you hear, visit the website elliekrug.com. Will you tell others about this show? Because I'm trying to get this. I mean, we're all ready international, but we could get more countries. You know, you know what I'm thinking. Okay, we'll be back in a minute. Thanks. I want to take the This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. I'm attorney Rachel Schroman of Schroman Law in St. Paul, and I am passionate about providing legal services in the areas of estate planning, probate, and elder law. My clients receive the attention and compassion they deserve with their peace of mind being my top priority. Enjoy the comfort of knowing that you have planned for the worst so you can confidently continue living at your best. Visit ShromanLaw.com. That's S-C-H-R-O-M-E-N-L-A-W.com. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at eatlocalminnesota.com. At Better Futures Minnesota, we believe everyone deserves a fair shot. 
We believe in personal redemption and second chances, and that those who are dedicated to change and hard work should have the opportunity to achieve success and make a positive impact in the community. The men we embrace and serve have made mistakes, but they aren't bad people. We work with men who take responsibility for their past and are committed to doing better, who work to create a better life for themselves, their family, and the community. Learn more at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. Ellie 2.0 Radio, me, Ellie Krug, here on AM 950. People that are kind enough to allow me to show up every week on the airwaves. All right, this is my C block where I talk about my work. So let me start out by saying what's going to happen later this week. So later this week on um, on the 20th of uh, this week, 20th of February, I am driving to South Dakota. As you may have heard, remember from my last show, I've talked about the fact that um, I talked about the fact that in South Dakota there is a movement right now. There's legislation pending to criminalize uh, health care for transgender youth. So they are the bill provides that um, for uh, youth under 18 years old, that doctors could go to jail for a year if they provide uh, prescriptions for hormone and do any kind of treatment to assist uh, transgender youth um, with um, uh, being trans or non-binary. And, you know, hormone blockers keep trans girls, so that's somebody going from male to female, keeps trans girls from having this kind of voice um, when they're older. So it's pretty darn important. So I'm going to be there. On, I'm going to be on the 20th. going to be on South Dakota Public Television. Um, I, and hold on. On the 17th, uh, or excuse me, the 18th, um, I'm going to be on South, South Dakota Public Radio. I'm going to be doing that by telephone. Then two days later, I'll be on television. And then um, on, the 20, on the 21st, I may be speaking in, South, uh, in Sioux Falls. We're trying to figure that out um, through um, some religious organizations. And on the 22nd, though, in the morning of the 22nd, I think at 10 o'clock, I'm going to be speaking at the Holiday Inn in downtown Sioux Falls, giving my talk about bridging divides, giving my talk about how we need to respect all humans, and giving my talk about trying to cause those who don't understand transgender people to at least try and meet me in the middle. So, um, stay tuned. I'll obviously report about it afterward, after it happens. Um, we'll see. Okay. All right. Well, now um, I also want to just share about something that happened to me last week. So, um, you know, I'm a lawyer, among other things, and um, I do uh, I do trainings for lawyers. It's called uh, CLEs, Continuing Legal Education. Um, and last week I did a Transgender 101 at uh, the main CLE uh, Center in downtown Minneapolis. We had about 50 people in the room, maybe 40 people online. I spoke about what it means to be transgender. I showed a video, and uh, the video is titled The Real Thing. Uh, now, if you want to Google that, you're going to have to... You're going to have to Google real, the real thing, soldier with transgender daughter, because there's a lot of videos out there titled The Real Thing, okay? But this is a seven-minute video about a young transgender girl um, who um, is in, a, it looks like, in middle school, whose father, a soldier, comes home from deployment and has never seen um, his new daughter. When he left for deployment, he had a son. And, and so um, the video is very touching. Anyway, I showed this video to folks. Um, and then um, we talked about the issue of choice. Part that's why I showed the video. The biggest hurdle that transgender and non-binary people face is that people believe it's a choice. That you didn't have to do this. You don't have to do this. I mean, I heard, you know, I didn't, tra- not that it's all about Ellie Krug. Please understand that. But I didn't transition until I was 52 years old. I had people coming up to me saying, you know, for 50 years, it looked like you're pretty darn happy as a guy. Why? Are you sure you're really a woman? You know, and so this choice thing, that's partly what's going on in uh, South Dakota. Okay? You've got legislators. There's some religious ramifications here as well. But you've got legislators saying, you know what? They don't really need to be transgender. And we just let, just let them work, work it out in their heads on their own. Um, you know, then maybe then they're not going to be transgender once they reach 18. Sorry, that's not true. Because I have a saying that human authenticity will not leave you alone until you listen to it. 
Well, before I started the training on Friday at Minnesota CLE, I did a survey. And the question uh, was to the participants in the room, we couldn't do it online, but with the people in, in the room, I, the survey was, do you believe being transgender is a choice? Yes, no, or uncertain? And we had, um, nobody said yes, but we had 26 people who said no, it was um, not a choice. But then we had seven people who were uncertain about whether it was a choice. Well, so I went through, I trained about, you know, how human authenticity will not leave you alone until they're done. Um, by the time I was done with the training, okay, um, I surveyed everybody again, and everybody was either no, uh, no, actually, everybody in the room was no, it's not a choice, okay? We had nobody uncertain anymore. I eliminated seven uncertains <laughs> as a result of my training, and I felt pretty darn good about that. Thank you very much. Not a very scientific poll, but you get the idea. So, um, you know, when I talk about what it means to be transgender, it's all really talking about humanity. It is. I mean, I just show up. I'm vulnerable. I'm self-effacing. You've got a sense of the way I am because the way I am on the radio is the way I am standing in rooms. Um, and what I found on Friday when I did this training is that there were a number of older white colored men uh, responding to my work. I mean, we're ta I am talking about people who are visibly in their late 60s, 70s, who are responding to my work. One of those men bought my book, um, and I inscribed it. And as I was inscribing it, he started to cry. And I gave him a hug. Now, I don't believe he was transgender. Just because I think he understood what it meant. And for much of the training, there was a woman crying... Um, uh, who later on wrote to me um, that night and said that they were having issues in their family about someone. I'm assuming it was somebody who was transgender and there were people that were unaccepting. The woman wrote to me on Friday night after I did the training and said that my words had given her courage to address the issue with her family. You know what? That's what, that's what idealists want. We want to have impact. We want to ripple to people. And now I've got to go because I'm going to overstay my time. So I need to be a th big thanks to my sponsor, Brending Electrolysis, also to Better Futures Minnesota, give people second chances. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you're the one who keeps track of the math when Ellie 2.0 is doing a talking head. And to my listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in every week, for sharing about the show. Do good. Change the world. Talk to you next week. <laughs>